Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers, visitors. Welcome to this week's Sunday service. Uh, before we jump right on in, let me just say my name is Pedro Reese for anyone who I haven't met. And uh, I also just want to encourage you, if you haven't reached out, if you haven't connected with us, if you've been around for a while or this is your first Sunday, we already announced in the announcements, but we're, we're serious about our desire to connect with anyone who wants to come through our doors. And so in the notes section below here, somewhere down here, in the notes, uh, there's a link that says, I'm new. We want to connect with you. I, I want to grab a cup of coffee with you. I want to jump on a phone call or a Zoom call or exchange some emails. Uh, let's, we are passionate about pursuing this life for Christ with one another. That's what we've been called to do. And so take us up on it. Let us know that you're here. We want to connect with you. It's, it's what we're passionate about. And so today we're going to start by talking about this. I, I really pray that our church, one of the side effects of being with us on this journey, in this community together, we pray that like one of the, one of the biggest consequences of sharing this life with us is that uh, people who come to our church are contemplative. In the sense that it's so easy to get busy. Busy is the default. Especially in this part of the country, if you have a heartbeat, you're probably busy. And so it's like expertise, mastery becomes in knowing not how many things to do, but in like how many things to get rid of. And so I'm like, I'm passionate. I pray all the time for our church to be a people who think about our lives, who think about our faith, and then who like make decisions off of what we believe and who Christ is. And that we uh, think about the lives that we live, we're contemplative. And part of that to me, one of the things that shows me a contemplative life, like someone who, who really thinks about what they want to do, is someone who's really in tune with the desires and ambitions that they do have. Like, I, I pray that City Life is a church with people full of bucket lists. Like, people, goals, ambitions, things you want to see fun, personal goals, career goals, uh, emotional and spiritual, relational goals, like so many things spanning from like fun things like skydiving, going on a roller coaster, or going to that one place in the world that you've been dreaming since you were a little kid. And also some like relational goals, like really think about life and what you want to see accomplished. Say like, God, what do you want me to do in this life? And then make it happen. I, I'm passionate about that. I, I pray that that is a side effect of coming to this church. And so I want to start off talking about two, two of my bucket list things that I want to see happen in my urban living. One is that I long and dream for the day when I find a restaurant, preferably that I could walk to, that I fall in love with so much that I get to this place with them, with the, with the owner and the people who work there, where I have an open tab. Like, I, I'm so, like, that would be such a beautiful sign that I'm living the life I feel called to live here in the city. That I would be able to know and a place, know the people there, and also, also be known to such a degree that people trust me to have an open tab that I don't have to pay for every meal right there on the spot, but I could be like, you know what, like, uh, hey, Roger, I'll get you next time, okay? To me, that speaks to, like, uh, the longevity of relationships that I want. 
the stability in investing in a city and in a neighborhood and in a business, like the stability of being there for a long time. And also just, I wanna find a place here in the city, preferably that I could walk to that has delicious food, maybe like some really good French toast or Belgian waffles or, or like a great burger that I could just go to. So like that, that, is, that is a goal of mine in this city, is to have a place that I have a running tab on. I also have another bucket list thing that I want to see done, I want to do in my life. I think that it must be so cool to be able to muster up enough confidence, but more especially enough money, to go to a, a bar and in front of everyone, shout out as loud as you can, everyone, next round's on me. And I, I just think about that. I see that in commercials and I'm like, man, like, you, what, that like, to me it's like, man, you must feel like James Bond for a couple minutes there. And I was like, don't worry everyone, put it on my tab, come talk to me, let's have a conversation, put your drinks on my tab. And to me, that, like, that is so cool, that is so interesting, because I'm so fascinated by that. I was like, imagine the conversations that can come out of that. Imagine the like, divine appointments that are potentially behind that. Imagine if a whole group of us opened a tab at a restaurant or at a bar, and we said, hey, if anyone wants a free drink, come talk to us. Imagine like, what that could lead to. I'm not talking about getting drunk or being in bad places, no. I was like, imagine what would happen if we say to a group of people who are looking to connect and have a good time, hey, like, I'll pay for your drink, come talk to me. That must be really cool. And at the center of these two that I've tried to share is this one central idea of having an open tab, of like having this bill that needs to get paid at the restaurant is like this, that I would be so known by that place that they would trust me to pay off my debts. And then at this place, like the, the possibilities that could come out of putting other people's things on my tab to pay, to open up a door to, for conversation. Like, I think that that so nicely gets us on the road to this week's Beatitude. If you're here for the first time, if you're joining us, we are preaching through the Beatitudes. This is our second to last week in the Beatitudes. And I have this one central idea that I can't get away from this whole week in reading this Beatitude. A, a second Beatitude on suffering, on persecution. As like, who's paying off your tab? Now, I'm not just, I'm not, now I'm moving to speaking more metaphorically, not about a literal tab. But like, who is paying off the tab of your life? We are all living towards something. Every single one of us lives towards something or some things or someone. What is the sum, the sum of your life? What is that going towards? What is that paying? I, I, I've been thinking, who, who pays off our tabs? The answer to some of, for some of us is very clearly, I do, me. Like Metaphorically speaking, we're like, I, pay, I make all my money, I pay all my bills, no one else gets to pay my tab but me, that's, that's mine. No one gets a seat at the table in my life, I build what I want to do. And then I also thinking some people might be here and saying like have a heavy heart and they're like, I'm living off of someone else's tab. I'm not living the life that I feel called to. I'm not doing the things that I want to. I'm living someone else's life because I have to or because I, I'm too afraid to step out on my own. I'm too afraid to take responsibility and like 
go after what I want. And so like I'm living someone else's life because I'm letting someone else dictate to me. I've been thinking about this for us who are, who are watching this, who are listening to this, and who are confessed believers in Christ. And I, and I just think, like, is Christ, are you under Christ's tab? Is all of your life, all of your being under His righteousness that we talked about last week? Is the sum of your life, does it show that you're like, yeah, God, like, I'm under your tab. Who I am is yours. What I do is yours. My decisions, my worldview, my opinions, like I throw it at your feet to trust you to work it out with me, to build me into the person that you want me to do, you want me to be. I, I read this interesting article this week about how during the Crusades, um, when a mercenary decided to get baptized, often it was said that they would submerge their whole body underwater except they would hold out their swords in their hands above the water, meaning like, Jesus, you can have me, but you don't have my sword. Jesus, you can have me, but you won't get to control my anger or my violence or my killing. Like, that's for me to decide. And I just wonder how many of us, like, say, like, Lord, I'll give you certain parts of my life, but the tab of my life is on me. I'm on my own account now. I make my decisions, and I do what I want. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that we were prone to this. And so 2,000 years ago, he took his disciples and a whole bunch of people out to a hillside, and he preached to them. He said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In other words, Jesus said, You are blessed... You are this a filled up cup, that's the metaphor we've been using, a beatific life is this filled up life to the brim. You are deeply, deeply satisfied. You are profoundly happy. You are overflowing with love and purpose when you are mocked, when you are abused, and when you are spoken badly of on account that your life is on my tab on account that Jesus is the one paying your debts, on account of when Jesus and you decide your life together. That when Jesus' righteousness is what you live for, you are still blessed even when all this evil happens to you. And so today, that is the whole point of this morning. We are breaking down what it means to be living on Jesus' tab, letting Jesus pay the bills, and let him build with us the people that he intends us to be. And so let's pray so that we go in there together and with the Holy Spirit. And then let's read God's word, which we base all of this on. And so uh, please pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, I begin by asking for your presence to be through this whole morning. Me right now preaching several days before this is heard preparing us until we hear this. And then the, the hearing and the implementing and the putting your word into our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be beatific sufferers, people who uh, put our tabs under your name, who live for your righteousness, who live for your purposes above all else. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to come and help us, illuminate to us, bring life into the preaching of your word. We love you and we give you all things. 
We believe that you are good and that you want good things for us. And so show us the way. And I pray all of this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen, church. So we are still, this is our second to last week in the Beatitudes. So we are in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 today. And God's word says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Let's start off today by talking about the reviled. All right, so let's talk about the reviled today. In this Beatitudes, we've talking about like... <laughs> the cause of each of these Beatitudes and what Jesus says about them. And most of the times last week, verse 10 and verse 11 are preached the same because they're both uh, talk about persecution, about suffering, so they're linked together. But I, I, felt, I felt that they should be handled separately because both of them speak a little differently to what Jesus is saying here. So last week we started talking about how alliance, align yourself with Christ, right? of identifying with Christ is also choosing opposition to the world, to the kingdom of darkness, and even profoundly to our human nature, all of us, as broken and incomplete and fallen people. We said that persecution will come for all, for all those who choose to live for God's righteousness, right? Second Timothy 3, God's Word says that. If, like, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for Jesus' righteousness, a persecution will come. And it's because we have irreconcilable differences, right? Different worldviews, different values. We define, we, our definitions to the big things in, in this world are, are different, definitely different to the kingdom of darkness, but even to what seems natural to humanity, to our fallen nature. Like different goals, different ambitions. And we should look different. Like right after the Beatitudes, uh, one of the like key verses of the whole Sermon on the Mount is don't live like they do. Jesus says, don't live like the Pharisees. Live better, live deeper, live, live more meaningful lives. Like actually live lives that are weighty. And that how like a lot of that weight comes from when suffering comes. I, I, I wish that weren't the case last week. I talked about how like half of my heart does not like this sermon and half of it knows that it's the most important sermon for us to say because weight, things that are valuable, we are willing to go through anything for. Like the righteousness is irreconcilable with the world and the values that are treated here. And we talked about how to do this in a healthy way, right? How to not be the type of Christian who creates all this persecution in their lives because then that doesn't fit the profile here because that's suffering because you're insufferable, not because of righteousness sake, but how, like, how do we honor those all around the world and 
since the church has come into the world, how do we honor the, their suffering as people who know where we live will not bring us public persecution? Like, how do we honor the real suffering and intimidation and death and, and beating and mockery and loss all over the world today? Hundreds of millions of Christians in the world are persecuted to this day because they believe in Jesus and won't let go of them. And so we talked about, hey, don't romanticize suffering because that does no one good. That doesn't do the good to the people who actually suffer publicly, privately. We talked about don't enjoy suffering. Christ does not call you. We're called to rejoice, but not enjoy. We're not masochists. Don't enjoy the suffering. We also talked about like don't have this self-imposed. Don't be a self-made martyr. You're just so unpleasant to be around. That's why you get made fun of. Like, no, that's not for righteousness sake. That's because you're unhealthy, most likely. To this day, hundreds, of, I just said this, hundreds of millions of believers around the world daily experience persecution. And we don't want to trivialize any, any bit of their suffering, any bit of what they go, for for the, go through for the gospel. But yet we elevated, when persecution comes, if you are truly living for righteousness, step into it. Don't hide. Don't run. Don't run to the church for us to counsel you away from that but for us to be this community that pushes one another towards it. Head first into it, because there's glory on the other side of it, because there's knowing Jesus and his suffering through the other side. And so Jesus knew that, and he, he subtly changes a, couple, a bit from last week to this week. And he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils falsely against you on my account, on my account when we're living on Jesus's tab. He said that, you know, you're blessed when others revile you. What that means is like, uh, reviling means that it's undeserved reproach or disapproval. Like when people come and voice to you, their disapproval with you, but it's undeserved. It's, this, it's criticism in an abusive or angrily or insulting manner. Here's a, a vocab word for us this week. It's when others vituperate you when they put you down with their words for no reasons other than like because you live for Christ and his righteousness. One of the things that I like, I believe to the core of me is that one of the most damaging things that most of us were taught as kids, the something that I could, like, I wish I could scoop into every one of our hearts and scoop out is the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt you, hurt me, right? We, we learn that in some way in this life. And that's one of the biggest lies that we buy into because words are powerful. Words are meaningful. Words do something in our lives. They, they do something. They have the power to hit our soul and our hearts and change us. And Jesus knows. He, that's why he includes this in this beatitude. He knows the power of words because his name is God's logos, his God's word. He created all. All of this, everything that has ever lived, he created through speaking it into being. And so if not the word of if the word of God, if he doesn't understand the value of words that we say to one another, then who will? He knows that you can be blessed when others revile you, when they say, say mean, hateful, harmful things to you. Jesus so loved us that he said, you know what, I, I'll cover that. You live on my tab, I'll, I'll cover you I'll redeem those words. I'll heal you from this. 
So many of us are hitting our heads up against this wall in our life emotionally and spiritually. It's because we're still, we can't get over the things that were said to us when we were young. Or at some point when we're just in a vulnerable place and we keep on going and we have to learn that we can only ever be as spiritually mature as we are emotionally mature. Let's start this process of healing through what's been spoken over you. Jesus also said, blessed are you when others persecute you. And we talked about that last week, so we won't dive into that too much. But when others harass you or trouble you, when the words that are spoken over you are matched with physical and social intimidation, when you lose rights, when you're treated misfairly because you won't let go of the gospel. And I just want to say clearly that that does not belong to God. God does not ordain that to be in our lives. It's sad. Suffering is always tragic, like we said last week. God grieves with his children when they are mistreated. And he also said, uh, Blessed are you when people utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. So this is like an even higher level than just reviling you with their words, right? When people are cursing at you, including when they're just like straight up using profanity at you, but then when they also speak evil above you, like they actually give, like say a curse over you and not in some like magic formula way, but it's like, man, you're never going to be happy because you are insufferable or you'll never be smart. You'll never achieve that goal. It's like when people say this without even mostly, most of the time knowing what they're doing, pronouncing this spiritual thing over you. And Jesus is like, you know what? You live on my tab and I got you on that. I can break any chain that is spoken over you. And all of these, you know, the reviling and the persecuting and this swearing falsely against you, saying all this evil over you is like, I I hear Jesus, I hear God saying to us this morning, it's like, those things that are evil, they're not ordained by me. We need to get over this bad theology that everything that happens is God's will, right? No, because God's will was that we would live perfectly in a garden with him that we wouldn't have any of this suffering, any of this death, any reviling, any persecuting, any of this evil spoken against us, no. But the thing that's significant here is I just said, you know, when you come under my tab, you'll be under my redemptive work, my healing work. And so let's talk about that really quick. Let's talk about Jesus's tab. I, I wanna start this section by talking, by reading one of John's thoughts. John Stott, my favorite, my best friend, my favorite, my best friend in the whole wide world writes this quote that I think is just super fitting. John Stott, my best friend, writes, Since all the Beatitudes describe what every Christian disciple is intended to be, we conclude that the condition of being despised and rejected, slandered and persecuted, is as much a normal mark of Christian discipleship as being pure in heart or merciful. It's it's a part of the equation, right? It's a sign of, of healthy maturity and growing in the gospel. Then he, but he goes on to write, Every Christian is to be a peacemaker, and every Christian is to expect opposition. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will suffer for the righteousness they crave. To me, this further iterates what Jesus was talking about here when we're talking about whose tab are you living in? If, if righteousness, if God, if Jesus himself is what you crave, then you will go through anything to get towards that. You will suffer anything that you crave. If it's your job, you will put yourself through so much to get that promotion. You will miss out on years with your family, not have a family in the first place. 
if it's that salary that you want or if it's that bank account that you want or if it's that apartment or if it's that relationship like you, you'll give up whatever you want if that is your thing that you're living for if that's what's paying your bill that's what you're going to go after but for a person who craves jesus we will even go through knowing christ and suffering to get it we will even put that tab in with our account we'll go through it if we're willing and I see this, I see that this is a loving call from Jesus in this subtle difference that he takes between verse 10 and 11. This is why we split them up into two different weeks because Jesus is doing something different this week than he did last week. Let's read verse 10 really quick. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Same. The same formula as all the other Beatitudes. Blessed are you in blank, and the promise is blank. Oh, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Beautiful, like you are blessed if what you're suffering for is righteousness sake and not just being an insufferable person. And, and in the process you gain the kingdom of heaven. Right, we talked about last week how that is like a sign and Jesus cares about your heart. He, he wants your whole being and Jesus reinforces that in verse 11, when he makes this subtle difference that to us speaks so much truth. See if you can notice a difference here. I read 10 and then 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you on my account. See, the, the subtle difference there that speaks so much to our hearts is that Jesus, pre is, he's like, he sees the crowds and he's done teaching them all. He's, he's done his due diligence to, to tell everybody what he wants all people of all time to know. And then he looks at the people in the crowd who are his, who will suffer for him, who will go through anything for him, who will identify with him in the good times and the bad. And he stops preaching in the third person and he starts preaching in the second person to his people. He says, blessed are you when others revile you, you, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. See, what Jesus is saying is like, for those who, who belong to me, for those who say yes to me, for those who are in this with me, I'm with you. I, I look you in the eye. I know all the bad things that you've gone through. I know every time someone has reviled you. I know every time someone has spewed evil over you. I know every time you were made to feel small. I know everything that arrests your development. Everything that makes you feel like a broken little child. I know everything that has ever hurt you. And, and when you think about it, you like teleport right back into that room, into that situation, hearing that or doing that again or having it done to you. Like, I know it all. And you know what? I'm the God who redeems all this pain. I'm the only one who can help you heal. When Jesus switches to the second person here, he's speaking to his people with all the love and the passion in his eye. 
Like no longer is it they, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or they will be comforted, or they shall inherit the earth, or they shall be satisfied, they shall receive mercy, they shall see God, they shall be called sons of God, or theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, when you are on my account, you are blessed. When your tab is being paid by my death on the cross and my resurrection, you're truly, truly blessed through all of the evil that you've suffered and all that will come. I'll heal you. You see, one of the things that is irreconcilable for us to believe, one of the things that is a distinctive of ours, is that the only one in all of this world that can truly heal is Christ. Now, Jesus is the only one who can redeem our pain. We all suffer. Every single one of us suffers in this world, and we will suffer, not always even just for righteousness' sake, but we will all suffer. Jesus says, you know what, I can redeem that. I can bring that back. I can make you like new, like you were never hurt in the first place. Jesus also says, I can heal your pain. No one else can heal you. In the places in your heart that you know are so broken that you've tried to be repairing your whole life and can't, Jesus says, I can heal you. I can bring health back into who you are. In the way that that like, detoured who you were supposed to be or like the healthy version of you, I, I can make that come. I can make that be a real, a real thing. Jesus alone in the Beatitudes is the only one who can bring true healing in all of what we suffer because he wants us to be blessed. And so as we step into our second to last week uh, in the Beatitudes, let's talk about one central passage called the Jars of Clay. I've been praying a lot this whole sermon series. It's like God. What are the implications of all of this? Jesus, you went on a hillside and you preached all these blessings over someone who is deeply in love with you, who is deeply searching for you and deeply trying to learn how to live you out and live with you and live with you inside of them every day of their lives. And so what, are, like, what do we do with all of this? How are we supposed to be? Like, Lord, you're telling us that you care about our character. And so who are you forming us to be? And this whole time, in my t private time, in my quiet time, I have heard over and over and over again, God bring up 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Over and over again, I said, I would hear, this, this is the picture of a beatific sufferer. This is the picture of a life that looks like it's living with Christ that is living with Christ, that deals with all of life's ups and downs and is honest and real and vulnerable and authentic the whole time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Saying so like our, our whole lives, we're like these jars of clay, right? They go through the fire and they harden, but they're still vulnerable. They can still break. They can still crack. Like We are vulnerable people. We are all susceptible to evil and to breaking, right? And so we are all like these jars of clay. 
And he goes on to say, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Last week we preached about this uh, glorious agony, right? The burden and the joy it is to know Christ. And the Second Corinthians passage to me just like, helps us to realize that we are broken, that we are not as strong as we think. If we were a cup, we would be a leaky cup. And we're called to give up more and more of ourselves, but we are never fully destroyed. We are, our flame is never extinguished all the way out. Like we're afflicted and perplexed and persecuted. We feel forsaken, but God never leaves us in any of that. And all of that somehow in his mystery goes to showing people that it's not about us, it's about him and what he can do. A beatific person is not someone who tries to orchestrate this perfect life for themselves all the time. It's actually nothing about that. It's about pursuing Christ wherever he takes us through, whatever hardship comes our way, and saying like, Lord, you're the one who heals me. You're the one who brings me through this. I can't do this without you. If you're not here with me, then I'm not going to make it out of here. And so let us be beatific people who say like, Lord, put my whole life on your tab. Put my whole life on your account. I, I want this blessing that you promised. This blessing is a good thing. Jesus wants it for us. But Lord, I, I want you to form me into a person who can receive all of these things. I want to be able to show to everyone who I ever meet. It's like, you know, I'm not perfect. I, I am quite hurt. But I have found the one who makes sense of all of this. Who heals me through and through. The one who so loves me that he came and he died and resurrected so that I could be brought back to him. And so I want to say to anyone here who's listening, if 2 Corinthians 7, 4, 7 to 12 doesn't resonate with you, let's start a conversation. Let's, if you do not know this work that Christ alone does, where he saves, even though it doesn't make sense, even though we're hurting, even though the whole world feels against us at times, like if, if you don't feel safe in Christ's hands, let's start a conversation. If you haven't experienced the healing work of Jesus, reach out. Let us hear you. Let's talk. Let's share life together. There is no one on this earth who heals like Christ. Let's start a healing process in all of our lives today. And so let's conclude this a little bit. This week, as I was talking to Ryan, uh, the other staff member here at this church, uh, he said that this beatitude is kind of like uh, the people who move here from other parts of the world or from New York City. And they still tell people, it's like, oh, where do you live? It's like, oh, I live in New York City. It's like, yeah, you know, I... I'm a little embarrassed. It's, it's Jersey, right? Or it's not exactly New York City or New York City sounds sexier. It's like, oh yeah, I just live in New York City. It's just easier to say that, right? 
It's like that we would be people who like so wholeheartedly say, yeah, I belong to Christ. Yeah, I won't do half measures. Like, I'm not Christ in this parts of my life while I'm living on my own tab on this parts of life. No, Jesus has my whole tab, my whole life, my whole heart is under his stewardship, his lordship. I am who he wants me to be. I love him and he has redeemed me and healed me so much that I'll go through anything for him, anything to tell other people about him as well. I think that this is the beatific person that we are called to be. So sold out for the Lord. I read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 12 and 13 this week. It was like I read it for the first time. And Paul here writes, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And I kind of like that. Like we have so made up our minds to live for the Beatitudes, to live for Christ, to know Him in our character and our conduct, that we say, you know what, whatever comes my way, I'm going to bless. Whatever comes my way, I'm going to endure. Whatever it takes for me to know Christ and to pursue Him and tell other people about Him, all right, so be it. I love Christ too much to turn my back on Him. Like Paul, where, like Peter, where else would we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? And so, church, blessed are you when you are reviled and when you are persecuted and when people speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account, when your life is on his tab, when your life is this pursuit to know him in life's difficulties, because only Christ can bring real freedom. Only Christ brings real healing and redemption. And so blessed are you when you're living under his tab. Blessed are you when you're like Norms from Cheers and he's the place you go to all the time to be known. So church, we love you. We're gonna be on our prayer calls this week. We're gonna be in our MCs. If you are new, reach out to us. Hit that website link. We want to know you. We want to reach out to you. We want to share this life with you. And so we love you all, and we'll see each other very soon. Bye.